Trish Glows here with KTVL, and uh, this is our first ever podcast here at KTVL. We wanted to get into the podcast world. We want to tell stories on our daily broadcasts, but we also want to do it on a different kind of platform. I've lived here for a very long time, 16 years actually this June, and I've met a lot of very cool, fascinating people, and I've heard a lot of very amazing stories. And so really, I wanted to share them with all of you. And my guinea pig this morning... (laughs) is Rosemary I've been called a lot worse. Well, uh, now a lot of people know you from radio. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, 15 years, I believe. 15 years, getting up at 4.30 in the morning. What was the um, station you worked for? Uh, KCMX. Oh, boy. That was a brain fart. Yeah, it was. Well, it's been a long time. It has. We've been off the air for uh, 10 years, except now we fill in occasionally for the Bill Meyer show. Right. Yes, you do. Um, We're going to get to radio because I know that's been a big... Uh, that was a big part of your life for a long time. But um, first, where are you from? Sacramento, California. How long did you live there? 33 years. Okay. What did you do in that life in Sacramento? Oh, so many things. Mm-hmm. Born and raised. Went to El Camino High School. Go Eagles. Nice. Uh, went to the high school of Ashtray's American River College after that and got my, uh, you know, AA. Then I was uh, silly enough to get married, but I married my high school sweetheart. Oh, isn't that lovely? Very lovely. You had two children. Two wonderful boys, Rick and Mike. And uh, that marriage ended. He, quite frankly, I have to tell you, he chose alcohol over his family Hmm. and something he uh, regretted, I'm sure, until the day he died, which was a year, two years ago. But... uh, and then I started working. I mean, I, such a long story. And yeah. I sold death for a while. I worked at a um, funeral home. <laughs> <laughs> why not? And I'll tell you why I did it. I had two children, no child support, and I made great money. Well, there I you mean, go. I made great money. And people believed me and trusted me. And um, probably my most interesting story was, and it was a cremation. It was called the American Cremation Society is I was on call, I became a manager right away, and I was on call during the Thanksgiving weekend, and it was in the time when all the Vietnam uh, refugees came to Sacramento, California. Right. And I got a call from a family saying that they their patriarch had passed away, and they wanted him buried. And I said, well, this is the American Cremation Society. And they said, oh, it's America. We want American. So I did this. Really? funeral for them, which was uh, very new. That was the end of my, uh, it was just too much for me because Mm -hmm. it was, it was hilarious in so many ways. And I could, I I just, I mean, the story is too long, but, and also it was so heartbreaking that I thought, you know what, I'm going to move along. I'm going to have to do something else. I ended up getting in a horrific car accident soon after that. And I had to uh, have a job where I wasn't quite so moving around all the time. And so I started working the family business, which was Sacramento Electronics. And that's how I met Garth. Really? Yes, he was a customer. Interesting. So getting back to your job where you said you were selling death, Uh did you go into it with a view about death and then this job completely changed the way you thought about how and how we die and and what happens to us after we die? I never gave it a first thought. Really? It was a job. My friend had started this business. It was real new. All there was was the uh, Neptune Society. So he started this new cremation society. And and I needed a job because my husband at the time was in law school and somebody needed to work. So that's what I did. And it didn't, we really just did pre- 
plan prepaid cremation plans. Okay. So it was great. It was right. like the Neptune Society. Right. So the people I talked to then were alive. And they were thoughtful, and they're thinking of their families to take care of it and all that. Oh, I had a spiel that was real good, too. <laughs> tell so, me. Tell me. <laughs> oh, it's been too many years. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was like, oh, we'll take the Social Security benefit, and it'll only, and we'll guarantee the price. And, um, you know, I had to fight the urge to say, yeah, we burn them and earn them. And it was just, people, generally speaking, were thoughtful, <laughs> lovely, right. forward-thinking people. No sad stories until that funeral. And then it was just... It that's, was, it that's was pretty a, amazing. It was a Levi, the gum chewing, the Levi's, the leather jackets, mm -hmm. and the wailing that got me. I just <laughs> pushed me over the edge. <laughs> um, getting back to your first husband. Yes. When did you know he had a problem with alcohol? Well, really, you know, they say that you're always the last to know, and I was the last to know. Really? He told me many years later he was an alcoholic since he was 15. Wow. His father was an alcoholic. And I really had no clue. Mm -hmm. And then he just spiced it up with a little cocaine at the end there, which is how I really found out about it. And I was just so amazed. I went, where'd you get the money? Yeah. Turns out that little devil had a separate checking account that I knew nothing about, or savings account, that I knew nothing about. Wow. So That's heartbreaking, though. Well, we tried. I mean, mm -hmm. I, we kicked him, I kicked him out the first time, and then we went through, and I begged him to go to counseling. Right. No, no, no. And then we kicked him out, then he went to counseling. And then that's, that's when I found out. Thank you for reminding me. That's exactly when I found out. The counselor told me. I had a clue. I'm telling you, Trish, alcoholics are sneaky little devils. Mm -hmm. And I was busy working and raising two little kids. So, you know, and he was such a wonderful man. He was, he was a intelligent, super good-looking, fun guy when I married him. Of course, you know. We were 20 and 21, right. what do we know? Right. <laughs> we had a great time. <laughs> uh, when, did you, when did you realize that it was you were just done? You were done with that marriage? Well, when I found out he was an alcoholic, then we, still had, we had that conversation. Mm -hmm. And then that was the end because he knew he was caught. And so I finally, after the first time and going to the counselor, and the counselor said, you know, your husband is very actually mentally ill. They called it... Um, uh, it's bipolar now, but what did they call it before? Anyway, it's been so many years. Um, manic depressive. Okay, yeah. And so he went on some lithium or whatever it was that you take for a short period of time, and voila, he was a man I married again, which Isn't is why we got back together. And it was wonderful. Mm -hmm. And then he decided he was better, I'm going to go off the drugs, and he went back to his drug of choice, which is alcohol, and uh, from my what I've heard, cocaine. I have no personal knowledge of that. And then I said, you have a choice. You either have your family, m myself and your two beautiful boys, mm -hmm. or you have your addiction. And he chose the addiction. And he graduated from law school. He was a successful lawyer until uh, right before he died. Wow. So. And I think it's, you know, with that, you, after that, really, you became a single mom. Yes. Which I had a single mom for, uh, for a time. And I know how hard those moms work. We, I worked hard, but I have to tell you, I had a very supportive family. Mm -hmm. My parents were, well, I couldn't have done it without them. So family is the secret. Speaking of family, you went into, you said the family business. Yes. And that is where you met the incredibly handsome. Oh, my darling Garth. Garth. He rode up on his white horse 
and with his saber, it's like, I'll take you, more or less. When did you, when you saw, when was the first, do you remember the day you met him? Absolutely, I remember what I had on. What did you have on? I have to know, I have <laughs> hey, to know. I had a red sundress on, and he came to the counter and he had a suit on. He was, his suit, because he worked at the public television station in Sacramento, mm. and he had just been to the bank begging for money. So uh, we, I sold him videotape. Okay. And in the back in the day, we had this videotape. Remember oh, I big remember. Reels? Yeah. I remember. Well, yeah, sixteen years ago, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And I and we started flirting like crazy over some his keys, which were for a Jaguar, and he had a Jag, an old Jag. Nice, nice job, Garth. I know he's rebuilding one now too. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, I you know I. So you're flirting. It was great. We flirted like crazy, and then you know what? He didn't call me for three weeks, and I thought. Oh, come on, buddy. Because I was on that, let's date Mr. Wrong. Hmm. You know, it was the early 80s. Come on, give me a break. It was <laughs> nice. It was a fun time. So he was a nice, settled, lovely, a little bit older man. And I thought, oh, how dare he? Then he did call. And we went out. And that was the first time I went out with Garth. I didn't like him. And the reason was, I mean, I liked him, but I thought he was too cheap. <laughs> <laughs> because we went sailing, <laughs> and it was a hot day in Sacramento, and he had a, a sailboat, and he split a beer. He said, let's split a beer to keep it cold, and I thought, I don't know you that well. <laughs> so you thought Come he on. was cheap because yeah. he wanted to split a beer Well, with it you? turned out he was cheap, but that, but that was, it didn't matter. <laughs> I loved him. I fell in love with him anyway. Um, you guys got married when? We met in September, the beginning of September, and we got married the following June. Wow. Hey, when you know it's right, it's right. And you've been married how long? This June will be 35 years. That is incredible. Yeah. You do. I think you really do. When you know something's right, you just, it, it is. Well, at the first, well, after I went out with him the first time, I told my friend Carrie, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to go out with this guy again. She said, good, because I will. I went, no, you're not. <laughs> that was it. So my friend Carrie Parker is why I married well, why I gave Garth enough time to fall in mm. love with him, which is like the next time. Thank you, we Carrie Parker. Yeah, I know. She stood up for me. and Nice. She's going to be at Tahoe with us when we're celebrating our 35th anniversary. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Uh, when did you guys come up to Southern Oregon? Uh, about, let's see, we got married in June. We moved in February, right away. Oh, okay. What was the reasoning to come up here? Well, Garth in his first life with his first wife mm -hmm. lived here in Medford right out of college. He, he's a San Francisco State uh, University, whatever they call it now, graduate. And he worked for KLBI. Okay. And so they called him up right after we were married and said, we're moving from the Quonset Hut over where the uh, Red Lobster is now, and we're building where they are now on First Street. And we'd like you to come back and work for us. Hmm. And so it took about you know, a few months to get that going, and then we moved. I had never moved. I lived in Sacramento all my life. Always had my parents right there, you know, my family, all my high school friends, everything. So moving here was a big deal for me. I bet. Mm -hmm. I bet. What did you think when you moved here? First, first impression. Well, I thought we'd come up a couple times and uh -huh. I thought it was absolutely beautiful. And I really did want, I thought it would be a good thing for our marriage to move. I thought it was beautiful, but I'll never forget going next door. We, we rented a home on Seckle Drive. And my next door neighbor was Linda Pons, and I said, well, Linda, where's the mall? She said, it's in Eugene. I said, where's Eugene? <laughs> She's 150 miles north. I said, are you kidding me? I couldn't believe it. But I found Lamont's, and so all was well. Okay, nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so uh, before we get to, to radio, because I do have a few questions about that, um, 
you have a couple of interesting things I know about you in your past. Um, one has to do with tennis. Okay, yes. <laughs> and one has to do with lifting weights. Oh, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about tennis first. Well, I belonged to a club, my parents did, okay. called Arden Hills Swim and Tennis Club. And I was on the swim team from the minute I could swim. And actually, my junior Olympics team relay team held a record for like 20 years. I mean, it was huge. Was, wow. Our coach was this guy named Sherm Shavor. And Sherm ended up being Mark Spitz uh, coach at the Olympics. He was an Olympic oh. I mean, he was a really great guy. Couldn't swim one bit. He was a wonderful coach and he made great swimmers out of us. Well, let's fast forward to junior high. Broad shoulders and green hair was not cutting it for me. Okay. So I picked up a tennis racket. And my mother was a tennis player and I was I took to it quite well, and then really what, well. Yeah, I, w I played. I we did very well, and in the Fourth of July tournament in whatever year it was, I don't know. I was playing against a little gal named Rosie Casals, who w is a big time professional in her day. But at the time, she was a fifteen year old teenager living in San Francisco. And that tournament, she, if I returned a serve, the crowd went crazy. I mean, it was like, I'd sitting there going, and they'd say, love 15, or 15 love. I'd go, what? Where, where? You know, I did <laughs> And so it was so much fun. And she, um, the greatest part of the story is we met up again many years later when Garth and I, weren't before we were married, Garth did this uh, a video stuff for the public television station, and we were in Santa Rosa mm -hmm. doing the Virginia Slims tennis tournament hmm. and there was Rosie Casals and Virginia uh, Wade and Billie Jean King and all these wonderful people and I was helping him and afterwards at the party I said hi Rosie she's teeny she never grew an inch after that <laughs> said I know you don't remember me but you'll remember the tournament because your grandfather lost his false teeth and they had made this big announcement and she went oh you're the one that people applauded if you even returned to serve. What? That was me. No way. Her grandfather <laughs> lost his false teeth. Oh yeah, I was eating. You know, he put it on a plate and then threw it out. And oh. We found him. It's okay. Okay. It worked out. It's okay. a bad day when you lose your false teeth. All he right. He was cute. Um, deadlifting. Yes. I, I, I believe you're a champion. Uh, well, I was. I had a world record. Yeah. I cannot believe that. I just every. I've heard this story probably three times, and it just. I, it amazes well, me. It's you know, it's one of those cautionary tales because if I were to do it over again, I wouldn't mm -hmm. because it's really hard on. Mm -hmm. I was 50, 48 or 50, 49 or something, or 50 when I started. And I just was working out and um, I <laughs> saw these other girls doing it and they were close to my age and I thought, well, I can do that. And I turns out I'm really strong. Yeah. And so we, I ended up, uh, my trainer was Jerry Capello, which a lot of people know, knew in the Valley. And we had such a great time lifting these heavy weights. <laughs> <laughs> so we went to the Worlds. I mean, I, we had, I had state champions and I deadlifted. You know, now it's nothing. It was like 365 pounds or something. Okay. And, but now, I mean, I, I think that the joy of the non-drug is sort of gone from the sport and people use drugs now and so they're lifting unbelievable amounts of weight. But you were hold, you held that record. You held you had a world I did. record. Yeah, I had a world record. Yeah. For, we do you know how long? Probably a year when the next year was. I mean, Still. I know I have it. Right. 
I have a trophy and everything. That's amazing. Yeah. I just think that's a really, I think those are really um, two very interesting things about it. Well, I also that. did that with deadlift, I mean, with, um, what do you call it when you do this? Um, like a bench press? Thank you. Bench press. <laughs> Sorry. It's my brain. It's another brain fart. You're allowed. Yes, yeah. You're allowed. Many, many brain farts. So I did that for a short period of time, too. And that was, actually, I was I was better at that. But mm. um, that really, it, it, I had a terrible accident in the gym. And it's a, you know, as I say, that was a cautionary tale. Right. You should not do more than you can do because it totally messed me up forever. Yeah. It's not, it's definitely not good on your body. No. I mean, going to the, lifting weights is fun, but it, you have to know your limitations. Exactly. Um, Okay. Let's get back to radio. How did you and Garth get into this? Because you, you two, like we mentioned earlier, uh, were on the radio for 15 years. Well, I was on the radio for 15 years. I had a couple of partners first. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Well, let's get back to that then. So when did you start with radio? Well, I can't remember the year, but we, I was, whenever the um, Phoenix uh, stores opened there, okay. they had a grand opening when they first opened. And my friend Susan Becker was the marketing person there. And she said, you have a big mouth. And so does Garth. Why don't you be my <laughs> MCs? It's the first time we ever emceed. So we're emceeing that event, pouring down rain mm, in November. Of I mean, it was freezing cold. And the people who were the operations manager of KOPE in Central Point back okay. in the day wow. heard us. And she said, the woman said to her husband, who was the operations person, that woman needs to be on the radio. They called me, and I was on the radio a little bit with... Um, a gal went every Friday or something, and it was fun until Roy Masters and I had a huge fight, and he owned the station. So um, I would—he did. It's not that he won, and so it was very easy for me to put him in his place on the radio. But oh, I used to get phone calls from Roy Bot saying, "Oh, that was a terrible thing that you did." And I went, "No, it wasn't." Did you get fired? Oh, sure. <laughs> okay, what came after that? Um. I went to uh, some meeting and Don McCoy came in and he and this guy named Bob um, Hatfield were on the radio mm -hmm. and I asked him, because I was uh, executive director of the American Cancer Society, if I could come in and talk about the Relay for Life. He said, oh, you can just call in. I went, no, no, let me come in because I know you blow people off on the radio. I want <laughs> So I went in. I was supposed to be there for five minutes and they kept me on for an hour and a half. Then they kept asking me, Bob Johnson was the owner, and they kept asking me to come in and fill in for Bob Hatfield because he was busy. I think they ended up, he, Bob left, and so they asked me to um, fill in. I said, well, I have a job. They went, oh, it's from 6 to 9 in the morning. You can do it. Yeah. So that's what I did. Don McCoy and I, poor thing, he had to put up with me for a whole year. And, you know, I'm kind of assertive, and he's such a lovely, quiet man. And I think I drove that poor guy insane <laughs> on the radio. But I learned a lot from him. And my next partner was C.W. Smith. No way. Yeah, we were partners for a year. On the radio. On the radio. Okay. And for those who are, C.W. was a, a county commissioner for a long time. He was. He started, he was a sheriff. He in, law he, in law enforcement. He, he was a you know, Medford police officer, and then he was a sheriff for 12 years. Mm -hmm. But when he and I were on the radio, it was before he became the police chief in talent. Because he, when he got that job, he, he had to do that. Uh, he couldn't come on the radio. So we were there for a year. And I mean, I love that man. He and I became best friends. And he was, I, he drove me crazy. He came in late every day. He was never prepared. He'd sit back and read the, paper, the newspaper for the first, first half hour, let, let me fail all over the place. 
and then he was brilliant for the rest of the time. I just wanted to kick his butt every day. <laughs> when did you and Garth um, become kind of a, a pair on the radio? Well, when CW lived out in some place where it was hard for him to get in all the time, and so he would call at 5.30 and say, I'm not going to make it. So I'd kick Garth and say, you need to come in and fill in for CW, and that's how it started. And then when CW had to quit because of his job with the talent, with the, uh, talent police department, mm -hmm. they asked Garth. And I was like horrified. Like, I don't want him to be my partner. And we worked together for about three months and I fired him because he tried to take over my show. Oh, because I, I, I know Garth and Garth likes to talk almost as much as you do. Oh, more. Oh, more than you do. Okay. And he likes to produce things. Mm. So he overproduced the show. So anyway, I got rid of him, and I had a partner then for three weeks. I can't say his name because he's, a lot of people know him, and I love him and adore him. Okay, we won't. But he, and he was excellent, but he made the big mistake of demanding getting the same salary that I was making. And I was like, well, leave it up to you, buddy. If you get it, and I'm going to demand more, so, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he, anyway, they said no, no, and so he left. So uh, we brought Garth back on my terms, and then it worked, you know, many years later. But, I mean, that's, it, it did work. It worked for a lot of years. Yes, it did. Because you guys fun. were on the radio for a long time. We still work together. Mm -hmm. We still, as I say, we fill in for Bill Meyer. We, um, you know, we, it's fun. We, it's really fun now right. when we don't have to do anything. Right. Except show up. Right. Uh, looking back, what were some of the big topics that you, you two um, covered? I remember one story I did specifically where I, because you guys were right next door. Right. Um, it was when we were dealing with immigration. Mm -hmm. um, and I came next door just basically to get all of the listeners that you guys were talking to, because it was just such a hot button topic. Sure. So many people were calling in and talking about it. What are some of the other things that you guys, over the years, that you were just like, God, these were just talkers, just really big stories? Well, if, you, if we were tired or didn't want to work or were unprepared, which is never, we always had a long list, but if we were tired, we talked about abortion, gun control, immigration, um, homelessness. Those, those four things mm -hmm. are always, still are, will always be, where you just sit back and let the phones ring. And people are very opinionated about them. And, and you know, and, and we were very opinionated on them. And, and people were either agreed or disagreed, a lot of disagreement. I was very unpopular at first because I was a woman with an opinion. And, you know, I had I had to get my gut. I had to get, when uh, Bob uh, Kennedy was sheriff, mm -hmm. he came in and said, the party's over, you have to get a gun. Because my life had been threatened along with him, his life, and Huddleston and a few other people by, you know, some whack job. So I did. I got a gun, and I told everybody I was carrying it. And then one day, <laughs> things have changed so much, Trish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In those days, we had staff there all the time. Now, you know, there's no humans at a radio station, really, except for maybe in the morning. Well, so the, the, no one, the doors were unlocked. I pulled in. I had my gun with me because I was still getting threatened. And I saw a car, a station wagon, I'll never forget it, creeping along Ross Anley. And I got out, there's absolutely not a light, and it was, in, it was still dark, you know, 5.30 in the morning, not a light in the parking lot. <laughs> and this guy creeps in, and he looks at me, and he stares at me, and he stares at me, and I put my hand on my purse, I put my hand on my gun, and said, what do you want? 
and he looked at me for a while and he goes, how do I get to downtown? I mean, I knew he was going to threaten me. I said, get out of here. You know, I did not pull the gun, but I had my hand on it. And that's when I went in and said to my supervisor at that point, by tomorrow morning, there should, there has to be a lock on the door mm-hmm. that, that only, you know, that I can get in. So I feel protected so that nobody can just walk in. And his response was, oh, Rosemary, if somebody wanted to kill you, they'd find a way to do it. And my response to him was, well, I'm going to forget that you said that because I'm not that and won't sue you. I expected a lock on that door tomorrow and a light out there, which was happened. The next day there was a, you know, a light and, the, and a lock on the door. Which is interesting to look back and think about the world we live in right now oh. and how, how things have changed. Yeah. Even even just in, in that industry where, you know, with radio and TV and, um, you know, locks on buildings and a camera totally up front. Different. And it's completely, yeah, it's completely different. Well, you remember when the guy went in the parking lot here? The van, yeah. Yeah, the van. Mm-hmm. That ha- oh, that was scary. That's when uh, it was uh, Mike Winters was sheriff. Yeah. And he walked in. I remember it was right before Paul Harvey's break. Mm-hmm. And he, we were used to him walking in. We were used to him coming in. And he walked out and he said, get your stuff. We're getting out of here. And I went, well, where are we going? And he said to Garth, turn off the radio. Get out. We're coming out. And he goes, well, let me wait and tell people. And he goes, no, get out now. <laughs> yeah, we, um, we evacuated the building here. Um, there was, you know, this guy who pulled up in a van right outside of Kingsley's office. Right. And had gas cans. And right. It was very scary. It was, it was very scary. Yeah. Um, our best day on the internet, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was huge. It was uh, huge. It was, yeah, that was definitely pretty Had, had pretty you crazy. met Chuck by then? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were, we were dating. Because I think he was there. He, uh, I can't remember if he was working or not. I remember I wasn't working, but I lived right down the street. Right. So I just walked down. I think uh, Kobe was doing a live shot. Right. So I, I'm like, you guys can interview me if you'd like. And they did. Yeah. So that was kind of fun. Yeah, that was, that was a pretty exciting time. But we're weird. Breaking news like that is is fun for me. So I think. Oh, we loved people, it. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. I mean, it was scary. scary. It's scary, but it's exciting. You know what I remember the most about that? I had just gotten a new car for myself. Only it was a used car, but it was in the parking lot, obviously. And the SWAT people were using it as a you know they're behind it. And I was going, don't shoot my car. That's my new car. <laughs> That's my new car to me. Um. So you're in retire. You're retired. Huh? Yeah. How's how is retirement? I have no idea how we had time to work. I mean, we are busy people. It is ridiculous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have grandchildren now. Yes. Four in Modesto and one in Chicago. I've seen the pictures on Facebook. I we Rosemary and I are friends on Facebook. Um, um, and that's how I know about your mom. And uh, she recently passed away. She did a couple of years ago. Bless her heart. Uh, but you two... I mean, just some of the pictures that you would post, just so much fun. She just sounded like such a wonderful lady. She was a killer dealer, let me tell you. She was a pistol. She was unique in that. Well, first of all, a background on that. Mm -hmm. My mother's father, who died when she was five, and uh, my mother was the youngest girl, but uh, there were six kids, and she was the fifth. And her father died when she was five uh, because he was a hemophiliac. So my brother was a hemophiliac. That's a bleeder's mm-hmm. disease. My mother is the strongest woman ever because she allowed my brother to have a life. You know, she, they, she, he and my, uh, she and my father never held my brother back, let him make his own mistakes, let him, he was in the hospital. We never went on a vacation when I was growing up when we didn't 
spend part of the time in the hospital with my brother. I never thought I'd think of it. I thought that's right. That's the way how you it do. Was. That's how you do things. And then after when I was a little more aware that he was ill, I thought we were very special. I thought I never my parents never let us feel sorry for ourselves or for him or you know when he would we'd be in the living room and we he, we had this lamp that had the this S deal and that's where they'd put the blood transfusions on because he couldn't go to the hospital. And be vomiting, and I'd be holding the bar. I and mean, that's what we did. We'd take my brother and I would, my younger brother and I would fight over who had to hold the bar. <laughs> that's pretty special, though. It was. I mean, you know, and he died of AIDS because all hemophiliacs at that time did. He died at age, he was 42, and he had a two year old daughter oh. married, and it was from, from the blood transfusions. Right. And so that was a, and my mother was. My poor dad, he never recovered from it. My mother was so strong. She just went, well, and actually, as my brother said, well, I had many years, good years, because of the blood product. Mm -hmm. So I can't complain. And But mom was, she was, she was great. Do you think, because you have said, just in the last half hour we've been talking, that uh, opinionated woman, mm. you have a big mouth. Yeah. Did you get any of that from her? I got it all from her. Nice. Yeah, my dad's dry sense of humor and my uh, never back down attitude from my mom, only she took it to the nth degree. I mean, she took it a little far. She, I learned really what not to do in many cases with Babs. She was, she was the queen of Anna Maria, believe me. But she lived there for 13 years. Mm. Was, it, was it tough to say goodbye? Of course, but not because she wanted to go. I mean, she really kind of um, did her own little assisted suicide because she had a terrible heart. Mm -hmm. And she had a pacemaker. And she was on hospice for 11 months. 11 months. Yeah, that's a long time. And we we're constantly rushing over there. And she had, and it was, you know, she t sort of turned in not herself. I mean, it was tough. So at the end, she went, she said to the, I mean, the most wonderful doctor at hospice, I'm having another brain fart, I don't remember her name, but she was great. She said, why am I not dead? And she said, well, Babs, you have that pacemaker and you're such a strong woman because my mother went to aerobics. I mean, when we found out that she had this bad heart, it's because she fainted at aerobics at age, you know, like 90. Wow. <laughs> 91, I guess. Right. And she said, well, mom said, well, I don't want this pacemaker. And she said, well, it's yours. Turn it off. Wow. So she told me, she she wanted it turned off, so we called, and I mean, that was, I mean, I was happy and sad. I was happy because my mother really wasn't my mother, and she hadn't been for a couple months. And sad because I was going to lose my mother, but, you know, I'm still, I'm still uh, grateful because my most memory of my mother is, is being Babs, not being that person that was there the last couple months. What was the best advice she ever told you? Best advice my mother ever told me? Well, when we first moved here, she said, don't try and take over the town right away. That was pretty good advice. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people, like you said, were not happy with you on the radio because oh, no, yeah. you were very opinionated. And, um, and I remember listening occasionally and thinking, you know, she's very conservative. She has these very conservative views. And then remember the first time you and I had dinner and then thinking, we agree on a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, that was our radio show and is entertainment. When we did it, it was a lot of entertainment. And I would, 
exaggerate my opinions in order to generate phone calls many times. I am conservative, but I am not super conservative. Like, You're not. Like right now, you know, I volunteer at St. Vincent de Paul, and I am, talk about a woman torn. That's me. Because I love, I, it kind of feeds my soul to be there mm -hmm. on one hand. On the other hand, I believe that we are making the homeless problem worse by giving sleeping bags and tents. Uh, we do it from October to March, through March. And I, it's very difficult for me. And for a while I refused to do it. And then they talked to me and said, you know, they made me feel, you know, I'm not even Catholic. They gave me Catholic guilt. So <laughs> I do it. But I would not be there except for the fact that everything else that they do there is so spectacular. Mm -hmm. And every Monday that I'm there, I re we make a difference in someone's life. I'm not talking about the homeless. I mean, we feed them and all that. I'm talking about people who have a sick child that got behind on their power bill or their rent, and we can help them with that. And that makes a big difference. That's why I'm there. But my opinion of homelessness and need has totally changed because now I know what I'm talking about. And that's it's a tough thing to know what you're talking about. It really is because then you see the truth and you see the real story. And you think most people are idiots. Exactly. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, when people talk to me, I just have to go, la, 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 because I can't say, you are a flipping moron. Right. Because that makes you very unpopular. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Okay, uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up a little bit, but I want to know a couple questions. What are the closest things to your heart? Well, my children and grandchildren, of course, and sweet Garth, those those things. It's just, you know, it's all true what they say about your first grandchild, and then after that, it's just an amazing thing. When are you your happiest? You know, honestly, when I'm at my very happiest is when Garth and I are just together. Like we're playing golf together or, I mean, of course, I'm happy with the rest of the family. But, you know, that's when you are you feel whole, mm -hmm. totally together. And because I'm such a foodie, I always want to know from people, if you're on death row, what is your last meal oh, and I'm your last drink? Okay, the last, well, the last drink would be um, probably a Cosmo. No, it would be that drink your husband made <laughs> with tequila. Uh, the margarita? The margarita. That, okay. It was some margarita thing. Well, we call it the chuckarita. The chuckarita. Yeah. That would be a chuckarita. Yeah. And it would be, um, I'd call you up and say, Trish, come and bake, make anything and bring it to me. Well, stop it. No, that's it. The best food I've ever had is at your house. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Thank Shea you. Glose. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, you are a spectacular cook. And I love how, you, I mean, everything is very fresh and good. I am a horrible cook. Well, you come over anytime. And I didn't, that's one thing my mother did not teach me to do is cook. Mm. She really wasn't a very good cook either. Well, we'll, and we'll toast that last drink to Babs. All right, to Babs, yes. All right, I like it. Yeah. Rosemary, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Trish. It was fun. I love your story. I mean, we could, we could just keep talking forever. But um, you'll be able to find future podcasts like this one at ktbl.com. We're also working to make them available on other platforms. So stay tuned for that. Rosemary, once again, thank you. Thanks, Trish.